Luckily for you, the answer to the great question of life, the universe and everything is to be found in this podcast, A Worker's Guide to Everything. Sometimes cans, often bad language, always solid politics. This is the Trademark Belfast podcast. Listen out for trademark regulars and very special comrade guests and fellow travellers talking all things lefty, Ireland and the world. We remain, as always, anti-sectarian, anti-racist and anti-fascist. Enjoy. Buenigisoltas. Hello, my name is Maeve McDade and I work for Trademark, though you won't usually hear me on the podcasts. However, as someone who's been active in BDS and Palestine solidarity campaigns for almost two decades, I was asked if I could do a special episode both to cover the boycott bill going through the British Parliament, but also to talk about the importance of targeted campaigns and direct actions that have had huge success in Europe and in England. Now, last week marked the two-year anniversary of when my football team, Clapton Community Football Club, who some of you may or may not have heard of, we voted to become the first sports team in Britain and Ireland to get apartheid-free zone accreditation and to use our community space to support BDS and provide training for activists, passing on BDS in their clubs, unions, and so on. And this was the result of a sustained campaign after we recognised that Maybe flying flags at matches wasn't going to be enough to support the cultural boycott in the sports arena. And I think especially when we think about Robbie Keane's current foray and complicity in apartheid, the sports arena is a really important space in which we can campaign um, for BDS. Now, a BDS accreditation, that means we signed up to give Israel the red card and to give Puma the boot. Puma is the main international sponsor of the Israeli Football Association which uh, operates on stolen land uh, and is one of the world's top athletic brands. Puma's sponsorship is legitimizing Israeli apartheid and helping to sustain the infrastructure of illegal Israeli settlements. Now, Puma is one of the most obvious targets for BDS given their uh, proliferation across the sports arena. And I will go into a bit more detail about that later uh, with one of my guests. But on the week of the International Day of Boycott Action, yet another Palestinian footballer was targeted uh, by Israel, and sadly, Omar Khatam was killed at age 24. We remember him and all the Palestinian martyrs, but we need to recognize that sports world is not neutral and we can make wins to end apartheid in our lifetime. Now, most people listening will know that it's been a particularly brutal and bloody couple of weeks in Palestine. And while this is going on, the British government is trying to push a boycott bill that would also be applied to the north of Ireland. And today I have two guests to talk about Palestine solidarity with me. I have long-time Palestinian activist and trade unionist Zen to explain more about the bill and the conditions in Britain for Palestine solidarity coming after my first interview. I would like to say that the signal did drop a bit on my side, but Zen's contribution was very important and we apologise for any disruption, but it should be very minor. But this will come after I talk with my first guest, Aidy from Manchester Palestine Action, whose background is rooted in direct action. Now, Aidy and I have actually known each other for over a decade, maybe closer to two from living in and building campaigns across Britain. And last year, I'm delighted to say that AD had a hero's welcome from the Raytheon activists in Ireland during the 50th anniversary of Martin Derry, after he and Palestine Action successfully shut down an Elbit Arms company in Oldham. But we will come back to that in just a second. Before that, I just wanted to say that over the last week, one of the Raytheon women, an incredible activist called Roisin Barton, sadly passed away. And may she rest in power and her actions live forever. 
So, Aide, over to you, if you would like to briefly introduce yourself and then we can talk a bit more about campaigns and strategies. Hi, yeah. Thank you, Maeve. Uh, much appreciated. Yeah, Aide Mormesh. I've been working on Palestine for many years, probably about 18, 19 years uh, altogether. And um, it's really what we're trying to do is bring Palestine back home here in terms of the appropriateness of our actions and to breaking the links of any complicit company because I think as anyone like yourself has been to Palestine numerous times you know when you have a, a crew of people back here in England that have spent time in Palestine they when they see the bombing of Janine they might think back to the carnage of a bombing in Gaza or the rest of Palestine when they see young kids being taken away from their parents and arrested and beaten by the soldiers in front of all the rest of the community at a checkpoint you can relate much more to the fact that that was actually happening in front of your own eyes. And and I think that because, for me at least, and certainly for us in Manchester, um, because we've seen it up close so many times again and again, and I was in Gaza for two years, I've been to the West Bank, you know, you can't not really take on some of these companies and institutions and universities that are complicit pension companies, particularly as well, of course, the arms factories, you can't help but take them on like you are literally running out of, for me, Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza, uh, having just seen another two-year-old pass on and hemorrhaging in the intensive care unit. And yet you can't actually tell the parents as you run past them because this the doctor that tells them. This was happening again and again for me in Gaza. And we're in the morgues and the grieving tents and 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 obviously the, the, the bond out rubble of the buildings. And uh, you take that with you and you make that level of seriousness of that moment the connect here for when actually Britain is the second largest exporter of arms in the entire world. Like all of these arms around the world are being made and being used to kill and destroy and uh, lived and destroy entire communities and villages and infrastructure. And yet is the second largest here in this sort of liberal facade of a, of a place when they export all the violence uh, or, or not all the violence, of course, but a lot of it that we never see. Uh, the worst kind, I might add, that uh, I have seen in Gaza because many of my uh, friends and two of my students and their families were murdered by Israel. So it's very, very close to home. And I think when it is close to home, you do want to push harder. And actually, I'm glad you mentioned the Raytheon 9 because it wasn't just the Raytheon 9, as you said yourself, and uh, rest in peace, the lady that passed on, because it was also women's groups that were doing direct action inside as well and also linked to community campaigning. And that model actually inspired our model, 100% inspired our model for the Oldham campaign that we had, which was once again, a big mix of community organizing, the local community in Oldham. There was a group there that was established. At first, there was a lot of Manchester people coming in like us. Then it got to the point where we could establish an Oldham group. Then direct action was happening um, and that got a lot more interest from the local community and it was like one pushing the other all the time um, and there was we were on the roof for three days of, of the factory and we got to meet more locals through that much more media and of course made them have something to think about a lot more as well and then arriving Palestine Action came along and Palestine Action turned the screw because this was the newer group that was national targeting Albert and they went in and many of them really did stop those weapons from ever, ever going anywhere. And many were smashed up. Now, this is crucial for the victory. Now, uh, if we don't look at what is getting us the victories, 
we're not doing our duty for Palestine, in my opinion. And it takes all different tactics. But for us, we've had to fight for people to understand that direct action is crucial. Many groups have been going against Palestine action, yet clearly, uh, because of the nature of what they're doing, yet clearly when it's weapons, this is weapons, Israel's largest private weapons company. If they could see what I saw in those hospitals or in the rubble, and I saw a woman being dragged out with a spoon in her hand in, in a house that was bombed in Gaza, because I was there during the, the bombing in 2012, if people could just see that and connect it, you'd all be jumping in the way of those weapons. You'd all be smashing those weapons up. They're the biggest gun runners, and you'd round those weapons up, and you would destroy them. And actually, you know, this is having an impact. The Oldham factory was closed after five years. And like I said, the crucial point is it was a marriage of strategy, just like for the Raytheon campaign. And there's no one in Raytheon that won't say, oh, yeah, uh, it was wrong for people to throw the computers out the window and, and smash things up inside that factory when they were bombing Lebanon. Well, don't you tell me that it's not wrong to try and beat, smash up the infrastructure that's being used to destroy, absolutely turn people's lives into misery and loss and destruction, because that actually is, for me, the most prescient thing that I brought back with me from Gaza is what is left behind, the families left behind. Uh, there is a woman that I met, a mother, a father, actually. We, we was downstairs, and all we heard was noises upstairs, and it was just the noises of a woman, and we couldn't understand it. We just sort of ignored it for a while, and then he pointed up and said, actually, since our second son was killed by Israel, She's broken down completely. She only makes noises now. I'm like a carer full time. That's since the second son was murdered after a few years after the first one. This is what's left behind. So, of course, we push it and we stand in the way. And I think that not only did we take that to Oldham, not only is Palestine actually taking that to all of the other arms factories, but also um, I think we should take it in every single facet of what we do because you can push harder with, with every facet. You can push harder with pushing politicians. You can push harder with the petitions. You can push harder with everything. And I think direct action especially is important. No one should be discounting direct action, especially now, given the political failures that we've had these last seven or eight years. This is the moment. And you could seen it with the environmental movement and you can see it with the Palestine movement because Palestine action have also closed down the offices, the main offices in London of Elbit System. They've still got another eight sites around. And if actually we'd have had more support from a lot of the major organizations, we could have shut them down much quicker. And we could be shutting down a lot more because there's no excuse for having 10 uh, Elbit Systems sites, whether it's offices or factories across Britain. Not a chance when they're actually developing their weapons as field tested, i.e. they are literally using the Palestinian population as a laboratory when that population is mostly kids, as in they go in and they've said this themselves. They send the planes over, they, they bomb and then they get the results back when the planes come back having bombed those villages or towns, and I saw them literally remove entire houses. That's the level of precision that they did. And that was the uh, Hijawi family, and that was like an entire family wiped out. I think there was just one survivor. Uh, this is what they do to develop those weapons. That's exactly why Israel is leading on on a lot of the high-tech weaponry securitization, especially drones. And of course, Albert make over, you know, at, at least 80% of the drones that Israel uses, employs to to, to bomb and, and kill so many Palestinians and to obviously as well the whole surveillance culture that they have a captive population to practice on. So for me, not only do we bring that back in terms of obviously the direct action, the very direct action of Palestine action, but we, we've, we've tried to bring it back to Manchester because I have to say we've got a big movement now in Manchester and it's going really well. There's a lot of youth 
involved. They're really up for it. They react to when we're more game, when we're more up for it. Everybody gets on the back foot, everybody else. We don't have to worry now anymore about Israel's uh, massive set of support that they've always had in Manchester. They've gone off the streets now. They've vanished. They're nowhere. This has been years long of mobilizing, mobilizing, mobilizing. There was loads out before against us. Now there's nobody. There's not even any dissent on the streets because we've mobilized so often. So there's no excuse. We can do it. We really can. And I think we have to get over this. A lot of the sort of like everybody trying to stop each other, everybody trying to catch each other out, trying to say, no, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. Obviously, be sensible. Don't be idiots. But at the same time, we can go way further than a lot of the limits we put on ourselves. And we should, you know, if we're really going to say we're all Palestinian uh, on our chanting, then we really have to at least bring a bit more of that to uh, the level of front and courage and bravery and up for it that we, we should be bringing to the demonstrations and the actions here where we don't just call for a boycott, but we step in the way of those shops and we occupy those shops that, that are complicit, whether it's sports shops with Puma or Barclays Bank or all the other complicit companies. Get in the way. What have we got to lose? Very little compared to the Palestinians who were marching on the Great Return March when I was in Gaza getting shot right next to me or anybody else trying to protest across Palestine. Very little to lose indeed. And so, you know, let's let's try and make that connect for one more for once. Let's really try and make that connect and bring it all back home and, and stop those companies from benefiting in this because they are driving what Israel is doing. They are giving them the green light. And if they're right here, it's the least we can do to just put a stop to all of it. And that's really been our Manchester approach for quite a few years now. And I think we're it's bearing fruit. We've been, you know, pushing hard on so many different fronts and we're growing and there's a lot of young people. I think we've We've got a really good movement here in Manchester now, and uh, and uh, I'm just really glad about that because it means that a lot, a really a lot can happen, and a lot of other aspects of the movement can can improve. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right as well in determining the, the different tactics that people can employ. I think maybe what we experience in Ireland is a uh, maybe an implicit because everybody kind of supports Palestine anyway that there's maybe less of a a need or a drive to really focus those boycotts. And maybe people see it as like an individual, almost like a a private thing. Like, well, I would never buy an Israeli good. But I think you're right that people need to feel empowered to take that collective action to the sites of complicity. And can you tell us a bit more about what you do in Manchester specifically about taking the campaigns directly to those uh, spaces who are complicit? For sure, for sure. Well, I mean, it's it's not obviously it's been me and many others over these last, uh, you know, 50, well, for me, it's been about 15 years of campaigning in, in Manchester. Um, and uh, really, we we want to make sure that, that they know that we're not going to stop and we're not just going to give them an easy ride when they are really complicit in what is, you know, a, a worse apartheid, as, as Desmond Tutu said, than than what was happening to Mandela and the, the apartheid regime in South Africa. Uh, we knew then that everybody should be standing in the way. And so we take it to them. And so we occupy shops regularly. Uh, we've, you know, I think with the Puma campaign, I was around right from the beginning there, and that's an international campaign. Um, and and it was called for by the, the Boycott National Committee. And we uh, were pushing it right from the beginning. And uh, and we went right in there and we went into the shop first, I think it was April 2019, I think soon after, not long after the launch, a few months or something. And um, and yeah, we occupied it and um, we were there. We had pictures of uh, many of the Palestinian footballers that were injured. We went right inside the sports direct upstairs, up the escalators. We had the cameras. It was a lot of commotion and there always is. 
but this is what what happens when you step over the line. You are reaching a new level whereby people have to engage, and they may be a bit disgruntled at first, but you are raising the level such that they can't just bask in ignorance anymore. And once people engage in something as open and shut a case like Palestine, as clear cut a case like Palestine, no matter how much absolute utter nonsense anyone tries to throw at it, you know, once it's even apartheid is is described by Amnesty International. You can't, you know, there's no, there's no way we should be losing any arguments on this anymore. And so once you do ruffle some feathers and step in the way, then the argument gets raised in everybody's consciousness, everybody. So they have to engage in it. And while there's usually a, a, a bit of dis- frustration or, or there can be a bit of disgruntlement by one or two people in the shop at first, after a while, honestly, like we have developed it as a norm to walk in because they know we're right. Uh, we went in, we filmed it. And we made a bit of a speech about the the, the footballers, including Mahmoud Sarsak, that was, uh, he was actually tortured. And I had met him and I knew him while in Gaza. He was tortured and he was held for three years. A Palestinian footballer, attacker, international player, was going to meet with another Palestinian team in the West Bank from Gaza. Gets arrested three years with no charge. And he was held, imprisoned, and he was tortured. And actually, people like Eric Cantona supported him. So you can imagine in Manchester how much well, that meant to me for a start, uh, but also imagine how much uh, of a profile that brought, you know, to the whole situation of, of what's happening to Palestinian sports. So needless to say, when Puma are sponsoring the Israeli Football Association, we we stop them. Simple as. Like, it's vile. It's like what would be breaking the boycott in South Africa when the sporting boycott was so important. Um, and so, yeah, we wandered in and we made a speech. And this was just like, honestly, the first one we did, this was, we've done it many, many times since was only about 11 and 12 people but it what it got picked up it went miles um it got picked up by al jazeera arabic and eventually it went over a million times around the world um this short action so talk about the difference between if we'd have been standing outside uh whereby we would have got about 100 <laughs> views this time it gets a million now needless to say it's not all about social media it's not all about everything else but it's a big part. It's a big part. We, there is still social media. It still has an impact. If we're not getting in the mainstream newspapers all the time, the very least, where are we going to get? We have to go for social media. And so this this does make a bigger impact when you step over the line a bit, when you try and move slightly more the status quo. And so we've been inside the offices of Puma about four or five times, occupied them. We've been inside various different sports shops um and uh, that was sports direct um many times and that was the one before with puma department of sports direct um obviously now especially we've got a lot more young people involved so they're making speeches about because they're mostly many of them interested in sport and they're making these fantastic speeches where they're bringing it home as to what sport means to them and to what racism means to them and to how on earth any sporting company with any expectation of being cast off as as non-racist could be supporting a regime that is holding people under the longest running military occupation in modern history brutalizing palestinians all the time ethnically cleansing them well documented by all the major human rights organizations compared to a buzz of everybody and you're going to sponsor the israeli football association and say you're anti-racist get off you know what i mean this is disgusting it's disgusting so we are passionate we are up for it we have a lot of palestinians now and so when the youth are also speaking about it, we had a football tournament, a boycott Puma football tournament. Um, and obviously, we just the latest one, we marched into Man City's uh, shop, club shop. There's about 100 of us. Um, and uh, many people got inside. We were putting a stop to a lot of what was going on 
they shut the shop for about half an hour. Many were Man City fans with us because actually a lot of the, some of the people in our group are Manchester City fans. Um, and they're disgusted because Puma is sponsoring Man City as the Puma is their sponsors of their shirt. So obviously it was a great move to, um, to expose that. And it went miles again on social media. So one of the, maybe it's considered a left-leaning football club in Ireland, Clastonville, is also sponsored by Puma. And whenever we put up our uh, boycott Puma uh, action at Clapton, lots of Clastonville fans tweeted to us saying, you know, we wish our team would do the same or we hope our team would do the same. And I guess, you know, hopefully people listening would will realise that it's not about hoping or wishing, that you actually have to confront this and build campaigns and shut it down. Like, it's a really essential part of the change that we can't just wait around asking people. We have to make interventions. Do you have any advice for people who are maybe uh, sitting at home wondering, well, I wish that this wasn't like this? Uh, yeah, this is Cliftonville, right? Well, listen, you, they have to stop this and people have to go and, and go and confront it inside the Cliftonville club or whichever club you're talking about, whichever organisation you're talking about. You have to step over the line. If you are saying that you're, if you can either say you're bothered or you're not bothered, about an entire people, mostly children, lying in Palestine, being brutalized, regularly bombed, regularly having their kids taken away from their mothers, imprisoned and murdered. If you're trying to say that you do care about the Palestinians, then you have to step in because Palestinians have to step in front of bullets just to stop their homes being destroyed. And I saw it myself. Then they march, they march towards the, you know, the gates. And I said to one of them, he's running there. I said to him, look, you're going to get killed. And he had just a flag with him marching in the fields next to the, the, the long line of Israeli soldiers on the big wire that runs between Gaza. And, and he just said, I'd rather die standing than die in my beds. I've got no choice. And that's, that's the choice that they have. So if they are having to just march and they're risking their lives every single time, like the Great Return March, then at the very least, we can ruffle a few feathers a little bit Go in and march in and wear Palestine on your heart and, and, and go right through the doors, just like you and others did, you know, for, for, for your team and everybody else can do it as well for their team. And this is what I'm talking about. This is real. You can do it. It's, it's really, really very possible. We've had quite a lot of boycott victories. Um, and like you say, we closed the flipping Israeli weapons factory down, for God's sake. I mean, we didn't think we'd manage that. The same with with G4S, they've divested. We had a big campaign in Manchester. It was going on around the world, the G4S campaign. They stopped their prison, finally, uh, with Israel and their contracts. The same, we had the University of Manchester. We worked so hard on that campaign. And it was against, frankly, a very establishment university, quite pro-Israel in many ways. Well, we got them to divest from Caterpillar. Students on the ground working really hard with some help from some of the older people around that could, could contribute. And they built an amazing movement, multifaceted, a lot of direct action, banner drops from the roof of the university, marching into the governor's office, and they did it. And all you're doing really is having a bit more front. And, and if they can do it, Palestinians under this pressure, you see them all having to resist against the most disgraceful attacks, the murderous attacks, the horrible technology that should never have been built in the first place, which is immediate thought when I heard my first bomb in Gaza. Then they're still standing and they're still cheering and they're still firing. They, you know, their resistance in Palestine is something that is one of the most extraordinary phenomenons of human spirit and courage faced with, with the most powerful military in the Middle East and one of the most highly technological inhuman occupations of an entire army surrounding you, dominating you, humiliating you, taking your family members away, whether it's by murdering them or imprisoning them all the time. And they're still standing and resisting. That, I take my hats off. So at the very least, we can do a lot more here. We can march in 
straight through Clifton Ville's doors and say, this isn't happening anymore. We've had enough. You can't be linked to an apartheid regime, to a racist regime that destroyed footballers' dreams. They've shot many deliberately in the legs to blow their legs off, destroyed a lot of footballers' careers. They've killed many sports stars, especially footballers. They killed three during the bombing of 2009. And these are, these are top players. You know, Mahmoud Sarsdow with a Harry Kane. He was taken out. Basically, he destroyed his career, couldn't carry on. Imagine him being taken and arrested and tortured and held without charge for three years. This is what's happening all the time. You've got to put a stop to it. The whole world knows more now. So it's a lot easier than it used to be. So if Amnesty International say it's apartheid, and so does human rights, what? so does Israeli human rights organizations, if Mandela says our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of the Palestinians, and Tutu said it's worse than apartheid, and both went to Palestine, what on earth should we be hesitating for? We did it during apartheid. It was right during apartheid. We broke all the chains. We broke the kill chain. Now is the time to do it for Palestine. Step forward. Step in the way and demand and make sure it happens. Take action because we have a lot less to lose than they do. And it's time that we stood with the Palestinians properly. It's time. They deserve it. Eddie, thank you so much. I know that your time is limited and I think that's a really powerful place to end, actually. I have no doubt that we'll get you back on in the near future as well uh, to talk to us. So thank you for all that you do and for, you know, everything. And yeah, thanks. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Great stuff for you as well. Fantastic work. So that was the fabulous Edie. And now we're going to go on to the conversation that I had with Zen from, uh, he used to be a part of PSC and now works for an international trade union. So this is the um, interview that I had with him. Thank you. Hi, my name's Sen, based in London, in Britain, um, originally from Glasgow. Uh, I currently work within the trade union movement, but my last role was uh, working for the Palestine Solidarity Campaign in Britain, where I coordinated uh, the campaign against these right to boycott laws. Um, so, yeah, sort of campaigning background worked, you know, for sort of like Jeremy Corbyn when he was like, uh, we'd done stuff as well. Um, and that kind of role had me also doing some stuff on Palestine solidarity as well. So been a bit of a uh, lifelong passion and commitment. Some of that goes back to just where I'm from in Glasgow and the sort of movements I've been involved in there as well. What's the current mood in Britain at the minute in terms of Palestine solidarity? Um, so the situation in uh, Britain in relation to Palestinian solidarity, I think it's, you know, it's not in the best position. And I think, um, Many uh, sort of campaigns and movements for Palestinian solidarity across the world are probably feeling the same at the moment, especially across Europe. But I think um, in Britain, especially over the past decade, we've saw um, a concerted chilling effect, which is what campaigners for Palestinian solidarity here um, used to refer to uh, attempts to either, um, you know, push back on uh you know, campaigns for Palestinian solidarity, attempts to criminalise, attempts to, you know, make it look as if we're on an extreme fringe in terms of what we're trying to do as well. And I think these new proposed laws going through Parliament in terms of the anti-boycott bill definitely need to be viewed in the prism of that as well. Um, having said that, you know, I don't want to say it's it's all negative because we saw and obviously uh, activism around this it does peak when you know there's really negative stuff happening um in palestine and we we saw in a couple of years back you know over two hundred thousand people on the streets of london protesting so it feels like in terms of um 
awareness and increasing activism that's all happening there there's obviously good stuff happening amongst like the palestine solidarity campaign amongst palestine action and other uh, movements and campaigns across uh, britain for this as well so there's there's reasons to be positive i feel like more young people are becoming politicized on this issue as well um there's more sort of content on social media and stuff about this uh, i do feel like more people have picked a side um so to speak uh but having said that I, you know we can't not acknowledge that what i would see is the establishment and others are doing the utmost best to really push back on the normalization of um, showing solidarity with Palestinians. Yeah, I think it's in, you know, it's all over Irish news too. I think the treatment of people like Corbyn and Waters and Ken Loach and that kind of, you know, really, they're really being made an example out of. How is that managed uh, in terms of everyday activism in Britain? It's a really good question, and I think this is where, you know, things like misinformation or, you know, overemphasized, exaggerated reporting in terms of um, what the media say happened as opposed to what actually happened. I mean, in terms of the, the Roger uh, Waters incident, if you want to call it that, I think, um, you know, what actually happened compared to what was being reported happened and how they said it happened was very different. And I think, to, to be honest, I won't lie, I have sought activists myself in this as well, are very careful in terms of what we say and how we say it. Um, and, you know, just because of the reper societal repercussions um, can be really bad, um, you know, when when people who say sort of certain things. Uh, for instance, you know, criticising the IHRA definition um, and the way that that's been used to stifle attempts to uh, show justice to Palestinians is something that could really make you persona non grata, um, you know, within sort of, if you're active within the Labour Party, for instance, even if you're active within, um, you know, certain trade unions and other organisations have accepted the definition as well. So I think we do need to, yeah, we do need to acknowledge that context. So this week there was a second reading in the British Parliament. Can you explain to people a bit more about what that is and the outcome of that? Yeah, sure. I think what I'll do is I'll give some context about these sort of anti-boycott laws, why we're seeing them in the British Parliament, what's been happening um, and what the eventual outcomes might be as well. So the, as you say, there was a second reading um, in British Parliament earlier this week where the most Tory MPs voted um, to pass to take this uh, proposed legislation, which uh, we refer to as the anti-boycott bill or the anti-BDS bill, to the next step. Um, and the Labour Party eventually abstained, well, the majority of MPs in the Labour Party abstained around about um, 10 broke the whip and good on them for that. Um, and smaller parties such as the SNP and others voted against it as well. Um, so that bill will now be going on to what is known as a third reading, which is like a final vote in Parliament before um, if the vote goes through, this legislation will come into law. But I wanted to give some context, take it back a few years in terms of what this law is and why we're seeing it. So um, at boycott next, um, you know, there was sort of strategy papers and other things that were sort of put together by um, supporters of Israel, supporters of um, Zionism. Um, years back, who were looking at threats to, um, you know, the, the system that they um, impose on Palestine and in Palestine. 
And one of the biggest threats which was identified was BDS, the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions Movement. Um, obviously, much historical context of where BDS movements have been successful or contributed to success in the past, including apartheid in South Africa. Um, so what sort of proponents of Israel have set out to do is to paint uh, BDS as, you know, in their words, um, there's conflation or there's attempted conflation to make it seem anti-Semitic. The argument there is it singles out the world's only uh, Jewish state. There's other arguments as well uh, pertaining to it being immoral and um, other things as well and collective punishment, which is obviously very ironic. Uh, but in terms of you know the this sort of activity around this. What what we need to remember as well is so around forty out of fifty states in the US have introduced similar laws. At the moment, there's attempts in other countries as well. So there's been an encouragement. Um, you know, as we're seeing sort of social conservative um, parties and government sort of worldwide, or um, you know even at sort of local government level, there's been attempts to introduce uh, legislation like this, which um, restricts public bodies specifically from um, being able to make what we would see as their own ethical investment decisions. Um, and one thing I want to make really clear is a lot of um, what's proposed in these sort of bills in terms of the nitty gritty isn't really that good. Um, it isn't really that effective. But what what basically people like the, the Tory party in Britain, the Tory government in Britain are trying to do here is implement what is known as a chilling effect, which again further chills the space for Palestinian, pro-Palestinian activism and solidarity um, across Britain. And what they want, what they kind of want from this is for people to think BDS has been outlawed. You know, when you actually hear the speeches, um, you know, the Tory party uh, sort of MPs make about this within the parliament uh, is almost in the context of we are outlawing BDS, we are banning this, we want to chill that space for the for the activism. Um, I uh, can't obviously speak officially for the, the right to boycott campaign um, in Britain. I would encourage people to look that up. It's um, called Protect the Right to Boycott. And um, in that context, what the Palestine Solidarity Campaign and others did was they built a really big um, sort of social movement of um, organisations and people that are opposed to these kind of laws. Um, what was encouraging about that was about us and national trade unions within Britain have signed up to that. Um, we've seen groups such as, um, you know, Friends of Earth, Greenpeace, other environmental groups sign up to that and join this campaign, um, as well as uh, many different campaigns and causes uh, for either international solidarity or social justice uh, within Britain as well. And what I wanted to highlight is the reason that many of these um, organisations and people and movements have joined on um, and have came to this campaign is the fact that these laws do not just stop criminalizing in the United States, for instance, is uh, the same laws that were first passed as anti-BDS um, laws have then been amended. So in some states, there's anti-BDS laws, but there's now uh, the exact same legislation has been used to stop uh, public bodies and others um, from boycotting um, anything to do with like the firearms industry or anything to do with um, fossil fuel divestment. So it really, um, you know, can affect pretty much all of society um, and all of us who campaign for social justice. And again, it's the um, it's the context of what's happening in Palestine that's been used almost the, the coalface, the, the tester of this. 
So in terms of what comes next in Parliament, um, there will be another vote. And um, ideally, you know, I, d I don't know how, I, d I don't know if I'm, this is more hope than expectation, but I'd love to see the Labour Party actually oppose it as a party this time round. It's really ironic that they um, published the legal advice that they commissioned on this on Monday. And the legal advice said, like, this is a terrible piece of legislation. This legislation is, like, actually hard to implement. It, it won't achieve what the government said they wanted to achieve. And they still chose to abstain um, after trying to have it uh, thrown out. So next time around, I'd like to see them actually oppose it. Because what we also saw in the last um, sort of few weeks was around 50 Tory MPs, like, actually said they were opposed to these kind of laws as well, which, again, it probably goes back to the point you were making um, as, as well um, in terms of with some elements of the Tory party would approach issues like this. Uh, and having said that, you know, we always, we can't just, in, in this country, or in any country, you can't just place your faith in uh, parliamentary politics uh, doing the right thing. And, you know, I, I would probably imagine that this will be, this will be passed. And then there's two elements in terms of fighting back after that. One is, because the legislation is so poor, like the, the advice even said, the commissioned advice even said that this would be really open to the legal challenge. And again, the courts isn't always the best place for justice, but you need to go where you can go. Uh, I think this um, this proposed legislation will be very open to legal challenge and this time with a lot of weight behind it from, you know, all the organisations that are involved in that, um, in that coalition. The second aspect of that is not just the kind of like the physical challenge to the laws. The second aspect of that is the actual solidarity that we show with Palestinians and the campaigning that we do. I mean, the whole point is the you know the government almost wants to come out and say, oh well, we've outlawed BDS, we've criminalised BDS, and what we need to do is we need to ramp up our um, you know BDS campaigning. We need to highlight that more. We need to like you know show as soon as if that bill comes into law that we're out in the streets the very next day protesting against BDS targets and things as well. Um, so, yeah, I think people led sort of movements and expressions of solidarity, and I think that's the way it's always been, and I think that's the way it always uh, will be. So it's on us to oppose this law um, just by our everyday action. Um, so the, the, uh, the British government, uh, when they were um, publishing their advice about this legislation, uh, um, and the territorial application of where this, uh, these laws will apply to. They said, and I quote here, um, these laws will apply to, quotation marks, the entire UK, end quotation marks. And even um, that we know is just, it's not feasible because we, we've obviously, we've got, for instance, in Scotland, devolution where, um, you know, most public sector uh, bodies are answerable to the Scottish Parliament, their ethical investment or any of their investment decisions are not, you know, in any way joined on to what's happening um, down down in London as well. And we know that's the case for other places as well. So I think that's that's something that we really need to be across as well, which is the British government are, you know, again, overextending their hand in terms of what they want our um, collective uh, positions to be on uh, foreign policy and other things as well. So that, that's a danger that we need to be aware of. Um, now, in terms of what's happening over in Palestine at the moment, as, as you say, it's been another uh, brutal and bloody week um, for Palestinians, specifically in the Janine 
refugee camp um, in the heart of Jenin, where the um, Israeli forces have spent a few days trying to get to the, the centre of the camp in a mass military incursion. And um, from what we can see, they did not achieve their aims. Um, and, you know, I think it's interesting to see the entire military might of uh, the Israeli army. I think they used thousands of troops. They used uh, attack drones. They used helicopters, uh, multiple armoured, um, different types of armoured vehicles, including tanks. And they were held off by a few hundred lightly armed uh, Palestinian militants. But unfortunately, what we're seeing in the, in the context, especially across the, the West Bank over probably the past year or so is like really frequent, almost nightly incursions. Um, and I think what we're seeing a real, real sort of over-militarization of the, the, the West Bank, especially, and that's obviously tied into things like an increase in, you know, the uh, settler movement, which is obviously now pretty much encouraged directly by the Israeli government. Um, there was always a couple of degrees of separation there before, so we're seeing violent attacks and programs, such as as we've seen in Hawara earlier this year as well, obviously in the context of the, the really right-wing Israeli government um, and these promises to sort of crack down more on, as we see it, the Palestinian problem. Um, obviously, it's it, it's great to see that the, the Palestinians are um, resisting and um, as they have a right to do so, and I really do feel like the equation has changed over the past year or so as well. We're, we're seeing um, a lot of areas in the West Bank um, become sort of more defensive um, and their operations harder for the Israeli um, army and government to operate within as well. But again, we're seeing the context of a bit of like, you know, a, a power vacuum in these areas with the decreasing authority and legitimacy of the, the Palestinian Authority as well. Um, so I think it is a pretty a desperate situation in some ways. Palestinians feel like they've got nowhere else to turn at the moment. Um, and I do feel like it's only going to continue to get worse. Um, I still I can tell you what the Israeli army or state has achieved in the last few days in terms of uh, this raid into Janine feels like other than destroying a lot of property, killing people. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't see how they can justify any sort of strategic aims out of this operation as well. So in terms of obviously, and, and you kind of mentioned this earlier as well, there's always a lot more people on the streets whenever there is something happening in that moment. But obviously I think we do both want and lots of people involved in the movement want to, a more kind of sustained and consistent approach that we can't always wait to be reacting to what's happening, but also building on our own terms. So, so what what's next now in terms of um, outside of obviously the parliamentary processes? Um, are there key targets for BDS? Is there anything kind of exciting happening in Britain that we can share with our listeners, particularly in Ireland or across Europe? Um, I think probably the, the most exciting thing, and I said I touched on this a bit earlier, is the amount of sort of young people um, across Britain that are really sort of becoming. Um, active on this issue and that kind of transcends you know like religion race uh, gender many many other sort of um, identities as well it seems like there's this sort of collective uh, push for justice um, and we have seen more of a, a, a sort of link up with other sort of movements for uh, justice in this country as well like for instance 
um, at one of the, the COP marches last year, for instance, there was a large and vibrant Palestine block, which was uh, something that we wouldn't have seen uh, years ago. And interestingly, a lot of sort of what I would term as older people came up to that block on a day and it was like, why are you here? And it was like, why are we not here? Um, sort of thing as well. So I think there's, there's positives in terms of the the diversifying of the movement, the, the link-ups and the coalitions we're building. Um, I do think the trade union solidarity is still pretty strong um, in, in this uh, country as well. So I think that's, that's good. Um, I think there's a couple things that we really need to concentrate on. Is one is it's difficult, but really sort of changing overall sort of societal narrative around what's happening um, in Palestine, like really sort of challenging the the media and others. Um, really interestingly, and I know it's it's definitely not the be all and end all, but really, really interestingly, um, what happened over the past few days from the first time we're seeing like really um, consistent and um, exaggerated like complaints from uh, like you know pro-Israeli media such as the Jewish Chronicle in terms of the BBC's reporting of what happened because it was slightly more accurate than usual um, in terms of what was happening here and but I think it's on us to do all we can to hold the BBC and others to accountability on this to do what we're doing and I know that you know we were actually talking about this but I, I know that sometimes people go to demos and it, it's like you know people speaking it's like write to your MP on this write to your MP on that but no, I, I think like obviously that does have a part to play in um, MPs and others do need to know that this is an issue that's important to uh, many of us across um, across the country. But more than that, I think we need to be encouraging people to go out to Palestine if they can um, and other things as well. And really sort of uh, linking up the, the sort of the, the movements um, for Palestinian justice and solidarity in this country as well. Thank you. Um I think a lot of our listeners will have come to our podcast through the trade union movement and the work that we do kind of more broadly uh, through trade unions is uh, Palestine Solidarity uh, supported by, but actively supported by um, the trade union movement in Britain in general? Good question. Yeah, yeah, really good question. So I, from my position, I would actually, I would say yes. Um, and I, I sort of speak from personal experience of it in terms of when I worked for the Palestine Solidarity Campaign, we um we was I think over fourteen um British trade unions affiliated to us. We had like a sort of full time trade union and still do a full time trade union officer. And um I was actually surprised because you probably see more stuff behind the scenes there, but I think if you're a, just a sort of a union lay member like myself, I wasn't even aware of certain things my union were doing, which we were doing, which was coming to a, a sort of monthly meeting with us. Um, they're probably one of our biggest sources, well, one of our biggest sources of funding and still are, um, as well as sort of running, uh, being involved in delegations going over to Palestine as well. So I do think that's pretty strong at the moment. And I think we're also seeing that in terms of the fight back to these sort of anti-boycott laws. But still, I would say it can be stronger still and especially more public because, as I just said, I was... Um, you know, I'm a member of the trade union, obviously, and uh, have been in a few different trade unions, just depending on the, the roles I've been working in. And um, I've never been that aware of what my trade unions were doing on Palestine. And now I've seen it from the other side, and it's like, oh, all of those unions were actually doing positive stuff. 
So I think unions need to be engaging their members more on this. I think in general, um, as industrial struggles have really ramped up across Britain, just as they have in other places, as things like the cost of living and stuff, we're seeing a, a drive by sort of trade unions to really focus on industrial issues, um, understandably in many cases, but I, I really think um, obviously all forms of justice are connected. Obviously, we're going through many things in this country related to sort of trade union justice, such as the cost of living crisis and stagnant wages and other things as well. Uh, but I think there's definitely still room to be doing uh, things outward in terms of international solidarity for many places and specifically Palestine as well. So I think that's, you know, just ordinary people listening to care about Palestine who are active in a trade union, like really try and engage with your um, union's international sort of uh, wing on this as well. Like, Having said the positive stuff there, you know, some of the less positive stuff is I think um, a lot of unions, international departments are probably a bit underfunded, overworked um, and not as well resourced as other elements of the union as well. And it's on us to sort of uh, change that and advocate for them as well. Thank you so much. Um, there's lots to think about there. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap it up here? Um, just to say thanks very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And just to, to say to everyone, do all you can to, you know, show show solidarity with the Palestinian people. Thank you so much. And this insight will be really useful for people in Ireland wondering what's been happening. So it's really good to know. And solidarity. Solidarity. That, comrades, was Trademark Belfast. Thanks so much for listening in. We'll see you soon, either in the trenches or on the victory parade. Upper workers and slang of foil.